that top down shit. Cruising on the motherfucking highway, doing your goddamn thing. Ain't worried about a motherfucking soul. Just do you, baby. Retro player, player, and 64. Cruising USA Exotica, I need some bows. Hit the floors, cause I need that flower in this hoe. Nintendo power with the power, you gon' run the show. Flow heavy on beats like a tampon. Shorty wasn't sucking dick while your man gone. Hit it once, now your ex wanna stand up. Getting buck, hit the chuck, Norris, now you're dead wrong. Retro player, player, and 64. You ain't cuffing, get these hundreds, I'ma tell her. Welcome everybody to Jeff versus the world. This is episode number 21 and we are back starting something new. The Nicholas Kelly trilogy plus one. Uh, we're going to start it off with the movie The Rock. Uh, it was released in 1996. The budget was 75 million and this movie grossed 335 million dollars off a 75 million dollar budget. But before we keep going, I got my co-host, Shahid. How's it going, man? It's going fine. First, you didn't introduce it correctly. Part of the Criterion Collection. Oh. Academy Award nominated <laughs> movie. The Rock. Yes, it was nominated for an Oscar for I, sound. It didn't win, but it was nominated. Okay, but the Criterion thing, that's going to bug me for a while because I never knew that. And yes... I just recently watched this movie earlier this year because uh, Shai told me I should watch it. So, yeah. I'm amazed that you hadn't seen this yet because it's kind of like this is the air. This is like the, the 90s is kind of like the last decade where we got like big budget action movies with like stars. The, these or, were these were the Marvel movies. Before yeah. Marvel, these were the big movies. These were the Marvel movies before Marvel movies and before like Pirates of the Caribbean and Lord of the Rings. It was movies like this. And this wasn't the first movie where people decided, you know, instead of using action stars and action movies, let's take great actors and put them in action movies. Because like, kind of like The Fugitive did it beforehand with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. This one kind of leaned into it the most because The Fugitive isn't really an action movie. It's just a movie with action. You know, still great movie, but it's more like a thriller with some action scenes. This one's a quote unquote clear cut action movie with a whole bunch of great character actors. You know, Nicolas Cage coming off an of Oscar, Sean Connery, like in his last peak run before he goes out, you know, Ed Harris at his peak, best as a villain, and then just up and down the Ross of William Forsyth, Michael Bean, Mr. Kyle Reese himself. Steve Harris from The Practice, before The Practice was even a thing. Like, it's funny when you watch this movie now and you think about a lot of actors who were in there and, like, what they've gone on to become. And it's just, like, up and down, like, up and down the range. It's just full of this, you know, quality. Hans Zimmer at his best. And this is one of, this is one of the first movies where I paid attention to music. Yeah, and I became a Hans Zimmer fan like because of this movie. And then whenever I hear that theme when they first hit Alcatraz, I just start humming it. I work out to that theme when I'm on a treadmill sometimes because it's just pumping. And one of the biggest things I, I enjoy about this movie is just the fact that it's just <laughs> it just shows the mindset of Michael Bay as far as how he looks at the military compared to how he looks at the government. What 
before we get there, let's just talk about how we got to this this Nicholas Cage trilogy because I think it was something on Twitter that became a, I don't know, a joke or something, and it's triggered. And I think we were both, or maybe you had said, I don't know, it came up like, well, he had a run. He had a legit run of movies. Mm-hmm. And he was, no- yeah, he was known as like a you know a serious character actor. You know, was in a lot of like you know critically acclaimed movies, not a lot of blockbuster movies. Had just won an Oscar for best actor for Leaving Las Vegas, which was a very depressing movie. And somehow that led into, I want to start doing action movies. And it starts off with, he basically does this. Con Air and Face Off, back to back to back. Three completely different roles, three completely different characters, and just goes from like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And like, I made a joke like with you, like imagine if Robert De Niro did Raging Bull, and then after he did Raging Bull, he did Lethal Weapon, Predator, and Die Hard was his next three movies. His his filmography is amazing because even after this run, and I and you know the plus one, and I was told by somebody not too long ago they say actually the plus one should be City of Angels. Yeah, but that's not an action movie. True, true. I mean, it's like it's because he made a lot of stuff between those three and going to sixty seconds, but none of them really fit like that genre more than going to sixty seconds did. Because it's like you know, City of Angels, Eight Millimeter, Snake Eyes. He does like the National Treasure. Like it wasn't like he stopped working. Like no. this was just a run, and he had like a nice run. Like he's still working now. We had like a nice, you know. I had movies in the movies I was a star for like a good, what, nine, ten years? Well, you know, another thing is I think it was because a lot of times when people come off Oscars, their next movie isn't that good, maybe? No. This, it depends on, it's normally a money grab. But he was the one that's like, after doing an Oscar, I'm going to do an action movie. It's common now. Yeah. Like, you know, but before, like, and it's common because of Nicolas Cage. Like, now it's no big deal if you see Adrian Brody, you know, wins for the piano and then does Predators. You know, something like that. Like, it's like, okay, I I got a gym membership. I got abs. Or Charlize Theron go for Monster like Aeon Flux. Like, something like that. So, it's kind of like trite now to, like, that's what you do. You win an Oscar and then you get the big budget movie. You start making money. But it wasn't always like that. No, it wasn't. Um... So basically, uh, this movie is. Let me see. This is not a long. This is not one of a long. This is not one of the long. I think it's like two minutes, two hours and fifteen minutes, two yeah. hours and seventeen minutes. So it's not really a long watch. But if you watch it, if you've never seen it before, uh, it the time will go by fast. It moves. It moves. Cr- oh, but we didn't even talk about it. What was the joke I made about this movie in video games? Oh God, this is Metal Gear. Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> this is basic, and it's funny. I hadn't thought about that till I don't know what made me think about it. I think I was talking to you, and then once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Like this is the closest thing you're gonna have to like a Metal Gear Solid movie without like deliberately calling it like Metal Gear Solid, because the plot points, the characters, and the side jokes, like when they did the original Metal Gears before they changed the characters, the portraits of Solid Snake was Michael Bean. And Big Boss was Sean Connery. 
Like when you play the Nintendo games, they have the picture on the screen. That's exactly who they look like. And that was not by accident. Yeah, once you had put the pictures up there, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is uh this is Metal Gear. It pretty much is. But uh let's go on and let's go ahead and just talk about the movie. Uh, I'll let you do the story of the movie so people will know and we'll just jump in from there. Big Boss takes over Zanzibar Island with his metal I'm sorry, wrong plot. <laughs> Marine Brigadier General Francis Humble disillusioned by his government turning his back on his soldiers dying during Operation Desert Storm decides to take justice and integrity in his own hands by snatching 15 rockets with VX poison gas taking over Alcatraz and demanding $100 million from the government for, for reparations for him and his men if they do not pay he will launch missiles into San Francisco and ruin the 49ers destiny and legacy the government's plan, which is a two-part plan, is one, oh send an elite Navy SEALs team led by a rookie infectious disease FBI agent and a criminal that's been held without trial for 30 years who escaped Alcatraz to have him as a guide to sneak up on these soldiers and rescue the island without any casualties. If that plan doesn't work, the secondary plan is to use an experimental weapon, ermite plasma, to blow up the island and murder everyone there and leave no witnesses. How garbage is the government in the rock? I'm trying to figure out which plan is worse, the first <laughs> one or the second one. Okay. I'm going to – oh, my goodness. Neither plan is good. Let's put it that way. Which one's worse? I want to lean to the second one. Let's break it down. The first one is, okay, the SEAL team part is fine. Yes. But you're going against this man. Like, they treat Francis Hummel like he's the military legend, the greatest military commander of that generation. They have the element, you know, like, they get to defend Alcatraz. They have the weapons. Hummel knows they're coming. They're going to sneak in, which is fine. They can't do frontal assault. Mm -hmm. They can't come from the side because of the moon, and they don't want Hummel seeing them. That part's fine. They understand that Alcatraz, they don't know the layout because it's changed. So their plan is to get this guy, this British Special Forces soldier that's been locked away for 30 years, they get any trial. Great Britain pretend they don't know who he is. The United States locked them away, help the key. It's like, oh, you help us go through this dangerous mission and we'll just let you go. And you gonna trust them? Well, I wouldn't, but they felt like it was a good idea. I mean, yeah, and it's like, forget the whole part of like sending send in the FE, we'll get to Dr. Stanley Goodspeed <laughs> on a different whole thing. And it's kind of like, we're just going to wing on how to, you know, disrupt these rockets and not get murdered by this poison gas where it's dropping the atmosphere and kill everybody in the eight block radius. Well, the plan is the plan is flawed, but I was like, I can see that to a certain extent, even though it's kind of like you're leaning on toward this one man and you hope he doesn't betray you. The second plan is just ridiculous. I'm going to use this experimental weapon that's not finished, rush it to completion, and then hopefully it works. And then if it works, I'm going to murder a whole bunch of American citizens and Marines and then be like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess something bad happened. Now, before we start it, now, this is going to be a theme about governments in all these Nicolas Cage movies except Gone for 60 Seconds. Uh, Yeah. 
The second one is really bad. It, it's paid hundred million dollars. Listen, a hundred million dollars. What did what did I, I text you yesterday? Uh, in 1996, the highest, the richest man was 18.5 billion. All they wanted was a hundred million. That's chump change. The the box, the budget for the Rock was 70 million dollars when this movie came out. Uh, not even looking at 2019 numbers. We can look at late 90s numbers. A hundred million dollars is not a a big deal because it would cost a lot more to fix San Francisco. Frank was being cheap, and he, he and he was you know he had a number and he knew what that number was. He knew he wanted to give oh, money to all those oh, dead soldiers' families and to yeah, uh, pay oh, for his soldiers. We'll get to the mistakes of, of Francis. Next <laughs> we'll get to that. But like the whole thing is like M- Michael Bay's whole pathos because he does the same thing in Armageddon too, and it's funny. It's the same president in both movies. The same guy playing the same president. This whole, yeah, instead of working with people, we're just going to bomb them. We're going to do it with a heavy heart, but we'll just bomb them and just, and just stall and just hope things just work out. But that's basically the plot of the movie. Yeah. And I got to say, the plot of the movie is really easy. It's really easy to understand. But things happen to on both sides to make this thing just a, a, a chaos. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a funny, it's a simple plot, and it was copied by people that end up leading to Iraq War because the description of those weapons somehow someone realized, wait, that sounds familiar. Oh, that's right, it's from The Rock. Somebody used this plot in real life to help to help influence the United States to go to war with Iraq. I mean, I'm just really. I'm dumbfounded about the whole hundred million dollars thing. Like, here, here you go. Okay, we can, we can, you know, we can do A, B, and C to get them for doing this. But at least we don't have to go through the headache <laughs> and all this time and extra more money, more than a hundred million dollars. This is where we at again. The richest person in 1996 had 18 billion dollars. Okay, you okay? We, we no. already said it was the hundred yeah. million dollars. No, but you got what's worse. Uh-huh. Go this ahead. Verse. The government not paying or say I'm a Marine. I'm let's say I'm 29 years old. And my commander, who I respect Francis Hummel, is like, we got we've been screwed by the government too many times. We're gonna get payback. I'm gonna get you one million dollars. You can't live in America anymore. You're gonna be a fugitive for the rest of your life. Where are you living? In a non-extradited country, that $1 million will last, let's just say you 27, let's say 30 years, just to be nice. Because you might, you know, where you live in a million dollars going to last 30 years comfortably? I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I told you he sold those guys a dream. He sold those guys but a dream. But they took it. At- and they, they, that's the whole thing. I'm like, okay, I can see if you like older. And it's more not. It's not about the money. It's the principle. If you're like 29 or 32, you're gonna live in Thailand, like eating, you know, shrimp and rice. Uh, like where, like where you like, because you gotta go into a country they can't extradite you, and you gotta go money where the where the money lasts and where you kind of blend in. So Africa's out the question. You're not hanging with Leonardo DiCaprio on Blood Diamond. You're not going there. Europe is out the question because most of those countries extradite and most of them are too expensive. So. Either island 
which you may not risk because it's like, you know, I'm not, you know, the Bahamas ain't that far away. They might check me out there or Asia like Rambo. I guess it's glad they must be going to Asia. I don't know. But what I do know is that uh, uh what Frank Frank? Uh, no, Fry and Darrow. They're, <laughs> they're the ones well, who thought that the hundred well, million dollar. Well, well, one million dollar was going to last because they well, wanted that money. We'll get to Vulcan Raven and Revolver Ocelot a little bit later too, because that's that's the biggest flaw in the plan. But let's some of you talk about. Let's talk about Francis Hummel. Let's talk about Ed Harris, who won is rocking the Jason Statham before Jason Statham was rocking it. You know, almost bald but not all the way. Yeah. Rocking that receding hairline, just like I'm gonna be. You know clear cut those piercing blue eyes it's a man of resolution have him walking in the rain like they make the whole first two minutes of the movie with the credit sequence basically tells you everything you need to know about ed harris's character yeah he's this respected hero he loves his soldiers his soldiers love him the government basically screwed him and his wife died so he feels like you know what i ain't got nothing to lose but even that movie started you know first thing first words out of the mouth it's the wife's graves. I miss you so much. You know, like, I, you know, I don't want to do this, but they've, you know, they've pushed me here. I hope this elevates their way of thinking. Please so don't think bad of me. They humanize them. They want you to, you know, feel with, you know, okay, this guy's doing it for a reason. Okay. I'm, I'm and they didn't you. have to. Nope. And I think that's one of the biggest part of the movie is kind of like, he's a villain, but it's justified. But oh, not enough yeah. where it's like tragic. But not enough like it's a tragic hero because he's still like you know I'm gonna threaten to murder people with some poison gas if you don't pay me. So like that's even if they even if he doesn't if they don't know if he's gonna do it or not, he's still threatened to do it. He still took the rockets. He still beat up a whole bunch of soldiers. Do it. He's like you know just because like okay kids that's on the island tell your parents you gotta go right now. Cool. He like Wu Tang and Trick Daddy. He loves the kids. Mm-hmm. He still captured everybody else. Yes. His main mistake, he made two mistakes. One, thinking that the people he was dealing with, both on his team and the government, had the same integrity that he did. Because he was looking at, like, I'm a Marine doing a mission. I swear to call, like, I trust these men and we can do stuff with honor. And everybody else, and too many other people, like, nah, the government's like, yeah, sorry, we're going to stall you, we're going to blow you up. Like, you know, Al Kramer was not here to, like, you know, he was. <laughs> Four-star general was like, yeah, Frank, you know, we're just working on it. You know, Bank of America, you know, the three-day hold and all this stuff and yada, 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 just dragging along and all that stuff. His biggest mistake, and you pointed out, okay, Major Baxter, they've been working together 30 years. Yep. Captain Hendricks and Chris, they've been working together since Desert Storm. Fry and Daryl, what, he checked on LinkedIn? <laughs> I heard of you guys. This is our first time working together. I heard good things. I saw how you landed the chopper. Great. What? Your first mission is I'm about to become traitors and fight in America, and you hiring two people you never worked with before? You know this is your last mission. You know this has to work. Everything has to work. You or either, you know, you don't you usually when you do a last job, you try to get everybody that you trust and you know. Not him. How many people did Fry and Daryl have? Because that chopper only helped so many people. And I saw when they came in, it was like Fry, Daryl, three other guys behind them. Figured, up, you know, the choppers have, what, two more people? So let's say nine. Yeah, I go with that nine. At the most, they had 
Okay, so they said so they had it was a total of seventeen million dollars going toward the troops. Because mm-hmm. eighty three million dollars was going toward if you assume each family getting a million dollars apiece, eighty three is going to family, seventeen million is going to everybody else. If Hummel doesn't take any money, let's just say we splitting it. Let's say he doesn't have any money. So at most you have a total of eighteen soldiers. What you need a frying Daryl for? That's a good question. And how you have them, and it's like, I heard of you guys, you good reputation, and I also heard of you guys that you'd be down with betraying your country. Uh, unless I've never worked with you before. Unless Baxter knew them from somewhere, and you know what I'm saying, and he was like, oh, I got these other guys. Baxter was, pra- Baxter was way too pragmatic. That was his whole thing. He was, because he knew, like, he was there to kind of like, you know, be the bounce to Hummel. Because Hummel was out of the fact, it was like, you know, when Hummel's like, we're Marines, he's like, are they? Like, we ain't doing this Marine stuff anymore. He was pragmatic from beginning to end. It was all like, you know, you got to understand what we're doing. This isn't just a regular exercise. We're betraying America. Think about the people you're working with. Think about the people you're asking to do. Yeah, that's... That was Humble's biggest thing. And it always bothered me. The more I watched, the more I thought about it. Like, Big Boss wouldn't have did nothing that stupid. No. And if anything, so, and if anything, you could tell because I think it was uh which one was it? Uh Fry. He was he was just too like, sir, we got so much this much time and whatever. And he was like, I heard you once, basically. Then he said it again. He's like, Yeah, I'm hearing you. Like, why are you so <laughs> agitated? Why are you, you know. I think Fry and Daryl, they, they've done this before. <laughs> they were already yeah, it's mercenaries. Been enough, it's been enough stuff, especially, you know, they were showing enough activity to kind of like, we're here for the money. And all this honor stuff, yeah, whatever. Th- those days are done. But we'll get to them later. So those are two biggest, biggest mistakes. So then we get established with Dr. Stanley Goodspeed. And it's funny where we both went on IMDb and we've heard conflicted things where they came to Arnold Schwarzenegger and either they wanted him to play Nicolas Cage's role or Sean Connery's role. It seemed like it'd make more sense to be Sean Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. Because I'm like, it's nowhere in the world he's being like, the only actor I could think that could play this role at this time was like Keanu Reeves. Like this, basically, this action hero that's a nerd that doesn't curse that has all these quirks and is, isn't really tough. You sure Stallone couldn't have did it? What'd you say? You sure Stallone couldn't have done it? Stallone wouldn't have done it, and it wouldn't have been believable. <laughs> I mean, I, even though I've seen Copland. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a but it's like, that's different. He wasn't, he was more like, I'm dumb. And but, I'm not, and I mean, it's more like I'm, I'm mediocre and I'm like this big guy in a, you know, this big fish in a small town. I want to be something. Not I'm a coward. Okay. Like, still, and it's like Nicholas Cage didn't have his reputation of being a tough guy yet. Like, like action star. Not yet. Nope. So it works. You can see him being this nerdy guy. It's Nicholas Cage. You don't know any better. Salone has too much baggage. You always think that's the rest of Salone. So it's like, it wouldn't be believable. And yeah, I'm thinking about in this era. Yeah, Keanu Reeves could have. Didn't Tango That's and it. Cash come out by then though? I, I just remember like being kind of like a nerdy in Tango no. and Cash. It's been a while since I've seen. No, he was rich. He was a stock. Okay, worker. okay. No, he was smart, but he was rich. And people and his old joke is like, "Why are you a cop? You're too smart, and successful for that." That was his whole thing. Sylvester Stallone likes doing movies where he's smart. 
Okay. <laughs> if, if you watch Tango and Cash and Escape Plan and other stuff, you hear that's kind of sunk in like, yes, he likes to show people he has a brain, which I can understand to a certain extent. So, you know, you have him there working at, okay, working FBI. How much was that album, that Beatles album? 600 $600. $600. He liked the Beatles. Beatlemania. Yeah, hips. I know that that warm your hipster heart. I mean, the fact that he got vinyl, yeah, that was yeah, I was all about that. But and he's like, why don't you get on you spend thirteen for the CD? It's like you know, I'm a Beatles maniac, and vinyl sounds better. It's debatable. I've heard different. Like sometimes vinyl sounds better, and sometimes it doesn't. I have records. Oh, you do? I, yes, I do. Oh. Just to see, just to see. If it, but I spent six hundred dollars on them. Okay, but I'm just, you got records, you got vinyl. That's a hipster yes. thing. No, because I wanted to see if it made a difference. And sometimes the price, and sometimes the price of vinyl was the same price as a CD or buying it online. Like if this iTunes was ten dollars and a vinyl's twelve, then sure. Mm-hmm. Just to, yeah, but I'm not spending six hundred dollars. Oh no, like, no, 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 like no. It's just debatable. And then you know they get the care packages, and you kind of find out this whole you know timestamp. Serbians and the bomb the Bosnians, and they like, well, what's going on? You know, whole bunch of Bosnians in the United States serving like Bosnians. That might have been the first time people knew about that conflict from watching that movie. And it's funny how many people get educated about stuff, either rightfully or wrongfully, from movies. And when I say wrongfully, it comes in with the whole atrophy thing. Yeah. You, you, do you have any questions before I explain their thought process about this drug? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go for it. Okay, because basically it's poison gas. They got to, you know, stop the bomb from exploding, kill everybody. And this A's, one of them is, you know, stick the atropine in just in case and then work on the bomb so you don't get any exposure. Now, atropine is actually used in those purposes as an anti-poison agent. The way it works is, short version, it works with the receptors to counteract the actions of poisons. VX gas is actually one of the poisons they mentioned. Mm-hmm. So that part is right. The whole this chicken needle and stab yourself in the heart <laughs> and then you just go back to work. No, that is not how it works. Like that whole thing is I'm going to stick myself in the heart, convulse for 30 and 45 seconds and then get back to work and disarm a bomb. Because his partner was like, he froze. Like, I ain't sticking myself with this shit. Are you crazy? Like, what? look at the size of the deal. He he choked. What, what about, but tell him about his partner. Why would he take that baby out and start playing with it like that? He's a clown. I was just like, why you know, would you even do that? If you're looking for something dangerous. Nah, God. Okay, go ahead. Never mind. Yeah, it's kind of like I said, like, how did he get this job? Is he an intern? And it's just kind of like, you know, it just one establish two things. Stanley Goodspeed is good under pressure. His partner is not. And this atropine comes back later on because when they first asked Stacey, like, get that thing away from me. Like, I ain't sticking myself with that. With good nature. You know, with good reason. But that happens. He goes home. He's there with his girlfriend, Vanessa Marcel from General Hospital, her first movie role. And it's this whole, you know, I want to have a baby and I don't think we should have kids. Nicholas Cage actually added that wanted that to be part of his character just to add some like you know different coloring it's like a lot of stuff like you know take a regular character and add a bunch of quirks and stuff 
to make it more memorable, which works because it's like he doesn't curse. He says a bunch of weird stuff. You know, he want to have the kids. And he's like, oh, I'm pregnant. It's like, oh, oh gosh. You know, <laughs> it's about, you know, like, yeah, five seconds ago, you're talking about not having a baby. Like, well, five seconds ago, I didn't know you were pregnant. And she's this whole thing, like, I want to get married because I'm she, Catholic. She's strong on them. Yeah, it's like, you know, Catholic guilt. And as a Muslim who was kind of nudged rather forcefully to make sure I got married to my wife before we started living together, I can kind of relate to this. I mean, it seems laughable now, but it's like, that's a thing. And peer pressure. And I mean, it's a thing. And it's either a thing or it's not a thing. And for a lot of people, it's a thing. So yeah. that part's believable get that so so man you've had i I mean it it works i think that was a thing in movies too uh even in the 96 around that time that was a big thing too like oh i'm pregnant oh we got to get married or you know we have to do this that was that was a big thing in movies back yeah because it wasn't gonna be like okay i'll take you to the clinic so you get an abortion like not gonna see that no action and give and give some weight and give him stakes what happens later so that's established. And then, oh, we didn't even talk about the whole part of like how, you know, Hummel goes in, steals the rockets on an awesome action sequence because he's just there on like, you know, random inspection. And of course, now, you know, he's Brigadier General. Yeah, they're going to let him in. They're going to let him in while his men are just working in silence, like, you know, like the genome soldiers, beanbag shotguns and darts and everything like that, cover of darkness. And it's like they never know what hit them, except for the one man that died. Cause he dropped the rocket oh. and that capsule hits and you know, they, and it's funny, this movie establishes so much in like so little time. Establishes how good the men are, establishes how respected humble is. And it shows how dangerous this weapon is. Cause one capsule hit, they close the door, door and his face start melting. Ugh. Disgusting. Uh-huh. Bax is there like, sorry. And humble's like, all right, move it out. Like it's, it's done. You know, like, and then they escape and then they take over Alcatraz. He's there, you know, towards over Bob <laughs> and the music. And, I have a problem with that ahead. tour. I, have, I have a, really have a problem with that tour. I'm not getting inside a cell. I don't care if it's a tour or anything like that. I get the movie. Everybody would have to be locked up and all that stuff. You heard I, what the black dude said? What kind of fucked up tour is this? Like it would be a Michael Bay movie without black people having jokes. <laughs> Yo, no, no, I was just like, why are they getting these sales? That's not like, no, I didn't do anything. I'm not getting inside the sale, but I get it for the movie purposes. But I was just angry at that part. He had the line, the girl, and the, they asked the park ranger, Why do you have a gun? Like, I'm not allowed to cut a gun. Like, I got a gun. If I knew something, I would have brought my motherfucking gun. Help! <laughs> you know, that's sassy stuff. And Humble takes it over, and then the, then the helicopters come and, you know, had the shot of Alcatraz. And, you know, they basically, each day, they have to, like, basically took a boat to go from the coast to Alcatraz to film. And Sean Conn was like, I'm not doing any of that. You just, just build me a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Don't do and that. Don't, like, don't, don't do that. Oh, I'm going to yeah. do more. We're going to talk about the man. <laughs> when we get to it. So he's like, I'm not doing all that back and forth stuff. So they built him a cabin. So they get there. They take over Alcatraz. The music's pumping. And Captain's frying. Daryl get there, set up their whole base of operations, call the FBI. It's like, wake people up. I got 15 VX rockets pointing at San Francisco. Do something about it. Oof. Call the FBI director. I guess he's about to go to dinner because he had his tuxedo. Yeah, on. yeah, he said. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 Mac. Oh, uh, 
Womack is trash. Womack was so trash. So they basically established the plan. They have the Joint Chiefs of Staff there. They break down Humble's plans while they have the the White House Chief of Staff keep interrupting Hayden Sinclair. He's 33 years old. And he's Chief of Staff. That's what I, yo, I watched this morning. I had to tell, I had to rewind. I was like, did he say he was 33? You know, when I first watched it, I didn't pay attention to the age when I saw it when it came out. And then the older I got, the more that stuck out. I'm, and then, because I was looking like our current chief of staff is 52, the acting chief of staff. Normally they're like older. What did he do? Who he know? I mean, yeah, who did he know? I'm like, who you know, who did he know? Who did he know? And it's just kind of like, you know, he's interrupting, like, oh, because they're like, this guy's a legend. He's like, you know, this guy's a hero. Like, he's a legend. Well, now we can add trades and General Homo is a man of honor. Even when he's doing this stuff, boy, the military circle ranks. Like, yeah, I know he did all this, but just remember, this guy's a living legend, a man of honor. Like, Al was not here for no humble slander. At all. No matter what he was doing, no matter what he just said to you, he's a man of honor. Uh-huh. Okay. And and he's like, yeah, all right. And then he calls in, like, basically, um, I didn't know video conference calls was that clear back then. And he's oh, calling in. It was sharp, too, wasn't it? Break everything. everything. Oh, did all this stuff. I had over 200 kills being in China. they like, you never you never admitted we in China. Who is this? <laughs> Identify yourself. <laughs> White House Chief of Staff Hayden Sinclair. How old are you, White House Chief of Staff Hayden Sinclair? I'm 33. Well, Mr. Sinclair, you've got no fucking idea why you're talking about tomorrow. Why your ninth birthday? Me and my men doing black ops in China was responsible for over 200 enemy kills. Put some brigand tape over his mouth. He's wasting my time. Like, shut up. Grown men are talking. Like, I laugh so much when that scene comes in. And he's basically breaking down, like, you know, why he did this. There's a storm. We was lazing the targets. All the stuff you saw on CNN, y'all were clapping about. Y'all left my men to die. Wrote some fairy tale stories. They ain't get no benefits. Enough of that. I want $100 million. $83 million to the families. The rest I divide the way I want. And use the red, you know, the red Sea Trade Company. And Womack's like, what's that? It's an illegal slush fund used from arms deals that's you know, classify, and everybody in the armed forces like Jesus Christ. How how how, how bad is the T spelling about the government in the Rock right now? The government <sighs> is insanely trash. It's it, oh my goodness. And Womack looking at them like I thought. I'm like really. So I thought that was a, and it get worse with the government. That's the whole thing. Like they just looking like okay, and he's like you know. If you don't pay, I launched I launched you know I launched the rockets. You try to resist, I lost the rockets. I know about your countermeasures, countermeasures you know, and I know they don't stand a chance. Humbles out. And then they asked about the VX gas, like, what could one, you know, one rocket do? The guy's like 70. The guy from the Air Force. And Chief of Staff, like, oh, that's not too bad. Thousand. Seventy thousand. Like, you know, one drop hits the ground. It's lethal for like a couple yards. One teaspoon blown up in the atmosphere, kill everything in an eight block radius. They got 15 rockets. 15. Think about how many people they could murder 
if they want to do something. And then it's like, you know, we can't use napalm because VX gas designed to withstand it. So we're going to have thermite plasma that's plasma that burns high enough to do it. It's still, ex- you know, experimental. And you're like, you know, can we get finished? We're going to take an act of God. You're like, excuse me. It's like, you heard what I said. <laughs> we'll He's try. Like, yeah, I mean, we'll try, but this might be secondary. It's like, um, you play Super Metroid. You can't, the screw attack is the last for a reason. Ain't first. You got to get your, your bombs and your missiles first. You try to go all the way to the left. You want your gravity suit from Jump Street. <laughs> it, it ain't how it works. So they got to figure out another plan. You know, if Alice, like, you know, they're going to. Somebody at the table said, you know what? I'm, I'm shocked that nobody at the table said maybe we should give them the money. Nobody said that. It wasn't even a thought process. They was just like, just drag it out, bluff. This whole, I don't negotiate with terrorists thing, I guess they really stuck to it. Because the easy thing would have just been like, if he's such a man of honor and they know how good he is, just pay. It's $100 million. It's chump change. He didn't ask for like $500 million. He didn't ask for a billion dollars. He asked for $100 million. Pay the man. I'm Keep just, him moving. Is it, but it's shocking in, in, in that type of movie that because you always see it in movies where that one person will say, maybe we should pay him. But they didn't say it in this one. Nobody said it. And I'm just, I, I, that's count me kind of like Hold up. different. You, even in Speed, they, you know, even though they bugged the money, they was going to pay Dennis Hopper. It's true. <laughs> I mean, taking yep. Apollo 1, 2, 3, they paid them. John Travolta got his money. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That was just so a different New, way. New York can pay terrorists, but the government can't? Hmm. Nah. Okay. So, yeah. anyway, they're going to come with a plan. They're going to get the seals. They recruit <laughs> Nicolas Cage, Stanley Goodspeed, while he's having sex while talking about sorbet ice cream. And I don't know what was going on in this scene. He, yeah, he was riffing. Um, uh, the, he the was, flavors like sorbet persuasion is so unique and i was like i had to put closed captions on because i'm like what is he talking about and like that, that must be some good loving because he's just in there like, mumbling about you know seven herbs and spices and, and he's having sex as this is happening i'm trying to figure out what is going on she's in pigtails and some fairy dress and like what type of what I guess chemical <laughs> weapons got some freaky stuff. So they get, you know, going here like, you know, of course they know I'm here. It's the FBI. I got this mission in San Francisco. It's probably a training thing. So why don't you come with me and then we can get married. Mm, that's going to come by the bite on the ass later. And then Commander Anderson. Gray Fox himself. Michael Bean. <laughs> Kyle Reese. Corporal Hicks. You know, Mr. Man from the Abyss and Navy Seals. It's kind of like no, in a normal movie, he'd be the star. And we had reached this point, like Tombstone had been a thing. Like, it's kind of like, you know, you see Michael Bean, you know who he is. Like, he's done this role before. It's just, and like, you didn't have to have some, like, Michael Bean play this role. But having Michael Bean helps because it just adds gravitas. Because, like, he knows his stuff. It's like, you know, can't go from the front, can't go to the side. You know, I got to go on the ground. But we need plans, like, you know, underneath is just a bed of shit. And then they like, we got a man that we can help. Keep in mind, the movie been going on for what, 30 minutes? 25, 30 minutes? Yeah, 30 minutes, about 30 minutes. And this is the first time you start hearing, like, it's like, yeah, Sean Connery's on the poster. You hadn't seen him yet. You hadn't heard about him yet. It's like, you know, there's a guy we can help. 
And, and then him and Womack is like, you know, I need to bite us in the ass and forget it. You know, it's just like he does exist. <laughs> he just locked his way to keep all the good that they escaped from two prisons. And if he hits the streets, like he's not going to hit the streets. Like 30 years ago, he was a highly trained SAS agent. He's my age now. I have to get up at night three times to take a piss. Oh, man, that's tough. <laughs> and then they had the breakdown and they have him locked up in jail. They bring out the cuffs and stuff with the slow music. And it's like Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. And now we get to talk about the my favorite part of the movie. Oh, my man, Sean Connery. Oh, man. John Patrick Mason. Uh-huh. Nobody. Now, it's funny. I've heard like his performance was very people even loved it to hate it because I know Shay Serrano from the Ringer said he doesn't like the rock because he thought Sean Connery was trash in it. I don't see it, but it's kind of like either. I don't know. Either you're a Sean Connery fan or you're not. It's funny, like, you know, he already did James Bond. People mm-hmm. tend to forget, like, Sean Connery used to be a bodybuilder. He was, like, the muscle, handsome man that was, like, the lady killer for a long time. And then he aged to be, you know, Mr. Untouchable and stuff like that. But even at that age, he's a he's not a small man. He's, not like, like, Sean Connery was, like, that original I'm a man, man. And all the problematic things. And... You see his hair before he the haircut, and then you remember you talking about who could play the role. Remember Mortal Kombat? They asked him to be Raiden, and he didn't want to do it because all the physicality, which is funny considering all the physicality he's doing in this movie. Well, let me think. Did Raiden really even do any physicality? No, that's what I'm saying. Chris, and Christopher, and it's funny like Christopher Lambert didn't do that much because he's blind, even though he's the Highlander. Yeah, all he but, did just laugh and say one of the one-liners. Could you imagine Sean Connery's race? <laughs> no, it would have been horrible. It, it would have been. It was already horrible. It would have been more horrible just seeing Sean Connery. I need you to go and protect Elfrom by fighting Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> the fate of the world lies in your hands, my Shaolin son. Like it just been hilarious just sticking him in that accent, being raiding. Yeah, like. Uh, oh. yeah. So he's there and they break him out, you know, the whole thing. And then Paxton shows up. Colonel Campbell. The only man representing the government that had any common sense whatsoever. The voice of reason, William Forsythe, just there, like you know, making sure Stanley Goodspeed's okay, breaking out the plan, how we gotta do this. Cause everybody else was trash. The military was just ready to stall a bomb. Womack, we kind of find out this garbage. And Paxton is like, you know, I'm the voice of reason. And he had a joke. He was saying when he was on cast, he went to get a hot dog. And one of the people that was working at catering said, extras can't eat hot dogs. That's for the stars only. And they called security to stop him. And the security realized who he was. He's like, wait, then what the hell extras eating? Like, you know, granola It was a hot dog. And like, I've been feeling this movie for a couple of weeks and they didn't even recognize me. Jesus. How do you recognize William Forsythe, especially with that damn mustache? I mean, I notice every movie he's in. <laughs> yeah, even if you don't know his name, you know his face. Yeah, it's like, like I, you know who he is. It's like, I know who he is because he pops up in a lot of stuff. And whenever he pops up, I know who he is. It's like, this movie's full of people like that. And they basically, you know, there's a plan. Why don't you come help me out? Like, you know, I've been I've been in jail all this time. Go let me out. Maybe you want me to run for president like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> it's like Sean Connery is full of jokes. 
And it's like, you know, it's not working. It's like, you know, why don't you come help? Why are you still vertical? You still got some blood in your pencil and everything. He wants to go, you know, a suite of the Fairmount Hotel. It's like, nah, you're going, going to jail. Stanley Goodspeed goes in because we don't got time for waste. And boy, Nicholas Cage just. Ooh, Nick, he, he Nicholas Cage is it. I'm FBI. I, I, I'm Stanley Goodspeed. Of course. <laughs> don't even know his name. He just flubbing around and just like, you know, and it's like that's what makes Nicholas Cage awesome. Cause it takes he had the hardest role to do. Ed Harris just had to be a steadfast Marine. Sean Connery just had to be himself. Nicholas Cage had to be this feckless nerd that was good at his one thing and not good at anything else and pretend to be like, you know, flustered and and, and weak and all this stuff and play it off where it does not is not irritating. And still have the pride to be able to do that and not worry about it. That's why I say Stallone couldn't do that. Stallone, he's got too much ego to play it that way. Way yeah. too much ego. Yeah, like he Basically, like, Nicolas Cage has to find a way to basically be the setup man. He basically has to be the Jackie Chan for Sean Connery's Chris Tucker. Like, let Sean Connery dominate the scene and add just enough so I don't get blown off the screen and let him breathe while still being my role. Because it's kind of like Nick Cage is the star, but is he really the star of this movie? That And, and that's one of the things I was going to say at the end. It didn't feel like he was the star, but he was one of the you know he was one of the stars, I guess. The movie is based off his viewpoint as far as like the hero side. Because it's based on his perspective. But it's kind of like Sean Connery basically Solid Snake. Yeah. And they got Nicolas Cage basically being like Otacon. Like, you know, I'm the tech guy. This is what I'm doing. I'm not sure I do those stuff. I'm going to do it. So they break it down. This is how we're going to do. And then it's like, fine. We got it. And then he takes the quarter that Paxton left in there. Use the chair to make, you know, a rough edge. Opens up the window. One of my favorite lines, he sees Womack. It is smoke on site. <laughs> Womack. Womack. <laughs> Why am I not surprised you piece of shit? He was hated. Like, and you know they got beef. Because that's the East Soon he's because Womack face changed, like, oh shit. Yeah. He's like, yeah. like I didn't want to get involved. Cause like me and Mason, we got beef and it's been aging. So no. And so they take him there. He goes to the Fairmount Suite, get the haircut. And just in case you don't realize the 90s, of course, they have the gay stylist that's like very effeminate because we used to laugh at stuff like that. Yeah, we were trash, yo. We were so yeah. trash. Oh. Anyway. No, no scissors. What are you talking Picasso? No brush? Because, <laughs> like, he's like, you know, no, with scissors, this man would kill you. Like, I, I couldn't cut off his. I could cut off his balls with a trimmer now. Come on. And the dude's face is like, who is this man? What's going on? And everything is just over-exaggerated and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is how we used to roll. And even then, it seemed, it was played for laughs then, even though it was kind of felt like trenching. Because it was still like, you know, it wasn't like the woke era, but still the 90s. We kind of knew. Like, yeah, eh. we knew, but like, it was, yeah. we were still about we knew, the jokes. But we still did. Yeah, we knew it was kind of off, but we still did it. Now, yeah, ain't no way now. Yeah, no, with good reason. reason. So, so basically, you know, it's like, why should I trust you? Well, you know, I'm gonna give you life, Mason. Wait a minute. Give me my life. Wait a minute. You're missing a point. Today, this is 1996, and no social uh-huh. media. Everything is behind. This man orders room service. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, and let's not let's be clear. We don't know who paying for this because if this happened, FBI. oh, at the, the FBI, yeah, it's got the room. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Because it's like it's it's twenty so it's I mean it's twenty ages in there. But still, if, even if it's the FBI, now that happened, they would be right now. Yo, who ordered this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But you know, things yeah. move slow. Yeah, oh, they would be like, who ordered all this lobster? Things was, was a little like, bit oh, slow. It's free, and they and, this, and the FBI is like somebody asked, like who ordered this? Like it don't matter. He <laughs> watched like he's an old man. Look, it's some lobster, you know. People love their lobster, even when they ask questions. So he gets his hair cut, and now he looks like proper Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Like I'm distinguished, tough guy, Sean Connery. He's like you know, you gave me my life years ago. Why should I trust you now? Like yeah, he got a good point. He's like. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, we just shake your hand, and I get a pardon. The pardon that he tore up. Oh, you forgot about that, yeah. Speed saw, yeah, this is when you establish, like, Womack is trash. Because, like, he basically, like, you know, he lied to this man. And he's like, all these names he dropped, like, you know, Solzhenitsyn, Tolstoy, all them, they got locked up, for, you know, wrongfully committed. Why did Mason say this? And it's kind of like, getting, like, maybe Mason's, like, you know, is more to it than meets the eye. And you already established Womack's trash. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel bad when he basically want to throw him off the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> and Mixer K is like, you know, like pull him up. Like, you know, I'm on the boss again. I want to drop him. You will not. He's getting kind of heavy. We'll pull him up. <laughs> Please don't. And then Womack's there, like just screaming and shouting, talking about, oh man, pull me. You fuckhead, pull me up. <laughs> And this means like this is a rated R movie because they are cursing up a storm. Oh, F bombs everywhere. They added this San Francisco scene because it was kind of like between the time when they established it on Alcatraz and when they go to Alcatraz, it's like it's a big empty spot where it's like if we don't have this scene, you know, it's just a bunch of dead air. So let's add this chase scene to like break up the movie and bring in a younger demographic and apparently one of the writers is like what are you talking about and Michael Bay is like you understand how demographics work like we're trying to get as many fans as possible younger people will like this and the guy disagreed they filmed it anyway and apparently that writer had never wrote before and, ha- and hasn't wrote since Oh, so so I guess Michael Bay knew what he was talking about because it was funny you hear a lot of stuff like Michael Bay was having a lot of conflict with like the money men so Sean Connery came and told him to knock it off. Yo, I read, I read, I read that too. And it basically, he said he was going to a meeting, and Sean Connery was in like his golf golfing outfit and said, "Can I roll with you?" It took him with him, and basically they tried to bully uh, Michael Bay, and Sean Connery was like, "Nah, y'all gonna cut that shit out." Michael, Michael's a good man. He's know what he's doing. Just needs some guidance. <laughs> Let him make his fucking movie so I can go back to my golf game. Yeah, I can see him just doing that. And they like, they ain't gonna say it's Sean Connery. What you gonna say? Nothing. You know, nothing. <laughs> like he don't he was at the point where he didn't have to do anything. And it's funny where Sean Connery says in that time frame, this movie didn't track more of his favorite movies that he did during the nineties. Yeah, that, I did read it. I was like, oh wow. I would never I, you know, I wouldn't I guess I would think this is, but this is like cause this had like this came out and he had like another mini run till he retired. Cause he was kind of like he okay. kind of like was almost like semi-retired, kind of faded away, and then he like he had one more run, and I don't even want to talk about what happened because doesn't do the Matrix, doesn't do Lord of the Rings, instead does League of Story of Gentlemen that bombs and he retires. Ugh. Yeah, 
because I missed out on being in the Matrix and Lord of, like, you know how much they offered him, like, what was it, 7 to 8% of, like, the gross to be Gandalf? And he was like, no. You know how much money that was? Ooh, he's still getting paid to this day. He'd have, he'd have, a, he'd have Nicholas Cage Island. Oh, and he could afford two castles with no problems. Yes. I'm like, so yeah, I can see why he felt like he's like, yeah, I, you know, but anyway, so they had the chase. <laughs> he, I forgot. It took me a while, like the third time I watched it. He straight cold caught Nicholas Cage in the face. Cause I wonder why Nicholas Cage, my jaw hurts. Like, I'm like, what happened? Now I realized I forgot Sean Comby square punched him in the face <laughs> over a damn table. And then to deal with the Humvee, like, this is my Humvee. No dents, no marks, no scratches. I have your ass. The dude snatched the car. Because that was a thing. Like, everybody was drawing a Humvee. And then cash money made it a thing. And people, them damn gas, ugly-ass gas guzzlers. Oof. That was tough. That was a thing. That was a thing for a while. Like, yeah, you wouldn't have bought it to be driving a military truck. Oh. That gas. Ooh. What was that guy? To fill it up? I think somebody had said there's like $100, $200 or something like this to fill it up. Be surprised, like SUVs on a, during that time, you probably spending like you had an Escalade, you probably spending like eighty, ninety dollars. Now imagine a Humvee. Mm-hmm. That thing, those things was big and heavy. So anyway, they have this San Francisco car chase. It's an awesome car chase, actually. Yeah, it, you know? yeah, it was really good. Because I was like, oh man, this and they say it was very, this could fit in one of those you know it, car movies or whatever. Yeah, and they said it was very expensive to do. And it kind of like helped the budget balloon, and they eventually ran out of money, which affected other parts of the movie. But it, you know, it was worth it. You see Nicolas Cage in, in the Ferrari, and then you know Sean Connery gets Kawhi in the car. Tomo, hello, I'm only borrowing your Humvee. When the guy tell me you stole my car, oh, yeah. like, and, he, and then they go and escape. They try and escape the um, trolley, almost derails. No, the trolley's about to derail. And Stanley Goodspeed takes this Ferrari to try to stop the try to stop a trolley. That's not how physics work. You know, airbag blows up. He's about to die. He has to shoot the airbag, get out. Ferrari's destroyed. And the dude's watches like, oh, man, sorry about your Ferrari. Just laughing at it like, that's not, that wasn't mine. Neither is this. It's still this bike. <laughs> so basically the whole part of this was kind of like, John Mason would want to escape to, you know, to get reacquainted with his daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's like more about them. Like, you know, when he had broke out of jail one of the times, met his daughter, like, was, you know, met his mom in a Woodstock thing, got pregnant, had a baby. Guess they was like living on the run, enjoying life. So one day they found him, took him back to jail. So she doesn't know him. He's trying to like have a connection with her. And then here's the, you know, the sirens come. And she's like, oh, you broke out of jail again, didn't you? And this established, you know, Stan the Good Speech showing, like, you know, he's a man of trying to do the good thing, not not necessarily like above the law. Because he could have eased this style. Yeah, he broke out. Time to go. He was there watching the whole time. And it's like, okay, he's just here to see his daughter. It's like, okay, you know, yeah, he's an important mission. He's helping us out. Time to go. He could have played it a lot differently. Yeah, I think it, he played like honorable, he played like an honorable way to kind of give like Mason some you know some breathing room, and it kind of established both their characters. Yeah. Now, how much of that do you think she believed? <laughs> That's the question. I mean, I mean, he didn't have to lie. No, true. Yeah, true. He didn't have to lie, but being that so, she know her dad was in jail, and she I was think ca- it's the fact because the other guy. I think it's the fact the other guy said it. 
Okay. Because, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know who this dude, this is FBI dude coming, you know, but he's saying he's helping me out with a mission, police here, and they don't have him cuffed. She don't see him when he's cuffed up. So true. She does, she's always like, walked okay, away. Well, he said that, and it's like, okay, maybe something to be said about that. So, and he gets cuffed up. And then, you know, they basically break down the mission, how they're going to get in. And, yeah, Stanley Goosby realized I'm not about this life. Ooh, sick. Got sick in the belly. As, especially after that speech and thought, you know, Fine combat, like like a combat situation. I'm not even gonna try to say the speech he said. The the actor Dan Nucci, he basically broke down the whole plot in like 30 seconds with no breath. Oh yeah, that, that dude, that dude, he was ready for that role. He was mm-hmm. ready. He went through it like that. The entire thing, yeah. He's like, no, I'm not. Excuse me, threw up. And then it's like, you know, get your head in the game. You got this. We got this. You know, do this tomorrow. You know, my girlfriend, she's coming to the city with a baby. And he's like, we'll get that. You focus on what you need to do. Like, Paxton was the MVP. You know, you need to focus on your job. We got the other stuff going there. And then they on, they on that helicopter. He in there with his flippers. He can't even turn the air tank on the right way. And this is what Mason realized. Oh, yeah. No anti-terrorism stuff. Good, <laughs> good, good spell. Godspeed. Godspell. Whatever your name is. Like I know you were lying about this anti-terrorism. Like I know you're not a field agent. Just make sure your girl's fucking killed. <laughs> like he's like, yeah. John Mason was about the life, and he realized good speed wasn't. I think he knew that when he first saw him coming that door, flubbing up his lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was just kind of playing along. He just want to make sure. It's kind of like he knew. And they're going there. They're going to. And Hummel knows something up because, like, the helicopters. It's three helicopters. Two get tracked, and one go into the radar. It's like they lost one, so they know they're coming. And they go underneath in the water, like like metal, like Metal Gear Solid. They sneak underwater and everything. And so far, it's like you know, plans working. They go to a door, locked door with no exit. They try to figure out how to get through. And this one is established that John Mason is a badass. I'm going to roll through these fires and these blades and unlock from the other side. I got the time and I hope it doesn't change. And they like, good luck. What? <laughs> like, are you? And he's like, yeah, you know, he got this. And like, you want, you told me to follow. He's like, nah, stand fast. He's like, you know, one of these, you time it wrong. When he's, you know, firebirds hit you, you're Chris. He's like, have a nice day. And then rolling through like it's no big deal. They and they looking at like, where'd you find this guy? Like, like who is I know he's an expert. Who is he really? That's classic. And this is the first time you yeah, it's the first time you stab it's like, yeah, John Mason was a bad, you know, James Bond was a badass. Cause it's funny if you look at this movie like older oh, James Bond that got locked up. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. So and then he opens up the door and like, welcome to the rock. And then that's basically how the then the movie really starts, well, and they looking at before that, you know, everybody's saying, "Oh, oh, he fucked us. He went, he got, mm-hmm. he left us, or whatever." You know, what are you gonna do? Swim? Yeah, yeah. he ain't going so, nowhere. So they sneaking in, and then the whole one of the thing the movies established, they don't just do stuff just to do it. When they first, when Hummel and the soldiers first took over Alcatraz, they had the um, the shower curtain room. They had the like the sensor device, like you know, this is a point of entry. So we got this thing where we got the prism, which people focus on with the laser, and then we got the anti-motion device. So when they block one, it sets off the other one. When it happens, we got them. No one knows about it. And what happens? They see the laser, they block it with the prism, they set off the tumbler. 
simple stuff like that, you know, something that's established in point A leads to point B. So that happens, and it's like they notice they got, you know, somebody's there. And who knows this first? Tuco himself. From Breaking Bad, Chavez from Clear and Present Danger, like Raymond Cruz. It's funny where I remember him from Clear and Present Danger when he was in this. But if you watch it now, it's like, oh, that's the dude from Breaking Bad. What's really interesting is a lot of those people in here, you see, mm-hmm. you notice from a lot of stuff like now or even the last, what, 10 years, 10, 5 years, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I've seen him in this movie or I've seen him in this TV show. Yeah. A lot of like, like, like Steve Harris, I remember him from The Practice. So, <laughs> Mr. I take pleasure in gutting you, boy, him himself. Like, but... I only think the practice was. I think he did this. He did the practice after this, but it's like I didn't know who he was when I first saw the movie. I know who he is now. So they basically rush in, and it's like they got the high ground. And Hummel is like, you know, do you know why? You know, they tell you why I'm doing this. They send you here. What's going on? And he's like, you know, Commander Anderson is like, you know, we made oaths as Marines and blah blah blah. And Hummel's like, you call what you want. You're down there. We're up here. You walked in the wrong goddamn room, Commander. Like it's like you talk all like you know. You got your mission. I got mine. They base. They don't. They know what's gonna happen, and they don't want to. He's telling this people to lay down. Stuff. He's like, I can't get that order. I will not get that order. What the hell is wrong with you, man? Like they just going at it. And meanwhile, frying they're ready to get down. Oh, like yeah. forget all this talk. Let's, yeah. let's let's waste these fuckers. Like forget all the talk. Like and that's when that's the first hint. When you realize they on a different wavelength than Hummel is. And they accidentally drop a brick down, trying to set the gun, hear the brick, they start shooting, and it ends as well as you think it would end. Yeah. With with yeah. a bloodbath and, and Frank yelling, stop fire, <laughs> and nobody can hear him. Mm-hmm. And the dude that gave a long speech goes up there, and he's like, you know, they like don't go. It ain't gonna end well. It's like look, like go, man. I gotta go in there. Then he looks. See Osman get shot. See Commander Anson get shot. And then which one was it? Daryl that popped him. This one shot straight to the dome, and he falls down, bullet hole in his head, and it's like over. And then Anderson's there about to die, and they like put a bullet in him. You heard the man in it. It's like it's like what you doing? Like you know. Then Humble gets like you know, more men have died in a wasteless struggle. Damn you for making me do this. Like, Humble's just pissed. He's like, I'm trying to be an honorable man, and you assholes keep making me do stuff I don't want to do. So now all that's left is Mason and Goodspeed. Two people. That whole breakdown, the Navy SEALs, these badasses, and all this stuff get slaughtered. And now so you're just left with these two people. And like, Mason's like, you know what? <laughs> y'all, y'all. <laughs> I'm out. Like you so I'm out. I'm out here. And good and like, you tell me I got a mission. Like, your mission ain't my mission. I'm I'm out. And Patrick calling on tomorrow. He's going away. You got a gun? What do you think? You got a fucking water pistol? Do something. And then he's gone. You gonna threat. Like, freeze, mister. <laughs> he's so lovably corny in his movie. Mm-hmm. And Mason's looking at it like, you ain't gonna shoot. Like, you ain't the person, like, you know. One way to find out. He's like, beside the safety's on. Looks at it, gets the gun snatched. He's like, what happened? Now he's got all the guns, sir. And then they try to, and then he's trying to break down Mason because they haven't told Mason about the VX rockets. 
So Mason has no idea like what the big deal is. Like, okay, they were here to stop Hummel. They didn't stop him. I'm out. He's like, you know, these VX poison gas can murder all these people, including your daughter, including my girlfriend. It's like, all right, I got to go. And then meanwhile, again, they hear the arguments. So they dropped the napalm bomb. And it was actually a real bomb they used. They had to hide. They had to basically go in the ward and hold their breath. And apparently Wait. Sean Connor was pissed. Wait, what? You Oh, you didn't read that IMDb? I must that have whole missed it. Explosion? Yeah, they was talking about how we're going to really do it. You just got to hold your breath for like 40, 50 seconds while we do this explosion above water. Yes. Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery both underwater when that happened. And apparently Sean Connery was like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> he was not pleased. Like, that's why Michael Bay movies look so well, why they age so well. When he blows up stuff, he blows up stuff. Ain't no CGI flame. Like, wow. why do CGI when I can do real life stuff? I like boom. That's basically like this whole thing. And it's like, it does age better. Because buildings blowing up, you know exactly how it's supposed to look. And when it's real, it's real. Yeah. And like the sound and effects, like the slow mo and the wall of fire coming is like it just ate as well. I'm like, okay. And the Mason's like, you know what? Fine, we'll go ahead and do this. Like I don't got a choice, but whatever. And then one of my favorite lines of it's about, you know, are you ready for this? And Caspi's like, I'll do my best. Your best. <laughs> Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. Really? Yeah. Like, that's when Stanley Goodson finally got some balls. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Carla was the prom. I'm ready for this. And then they go into the shower room with the, you know, when they first, the first rockets. They send some soldiers there, and one of them catch a knife right to the neck. Tell me, you must never hesitate. Never. And Mason, and, and this one is saying, like, yes, Mason is a badass. Like, he just murdering folks like there's no big. And keep in mind, he's an old man. And it and it never looked unbelievable. It looked credible. Yeah, and, and maybe it was the way they shot it. They shot it very well for him, and they put him in a situation where it was believable. They didn't have him do anything that was like, wait a minute, this old man, you know. Yeah, he ain't doing a lot of running. and Like, he's running, but he ain't doing, like, a whole bunch of jumping and stuff. It's yeah. like he's got old strength and skill. And it helps. Sean Connery a, is a big man anyway. Yeah. Like, he's an imposing man just physically and like presence wise and it's like it just makes sense and these and the machine gun sounds it's kind of like it's weird bragging about how awesome they sound the sound was awesome I can see why I got nominated for the Oscar and you hear Nicholas Cage trying to talk like you know don't shoot the rocket but you hear his mouth moving but you don't hear him talking because it's mm-hmm. so loud and it's believable it's like but you say something not the rocket not the rocket anything else professor <laughs> and then shoots the dude in the foot and then shoots the air conditioning unit so it lands face first. You know, that, was, that was cold blooded. He could have just shot him in the face or something. He could have shot. He, he wanted to make sure because dude pulled the grenades out. He's like, I ain't taking no chances. He he didn't have a good angle. So and he see that like, does that happen? You mean like that? Yeah, sometimes it does. Is there something you could do about it? What do we want to do? Kill him again. And at this point, Stanley Goodspeed is like, all right, this is your gun thing, yada, yada, yada. Get off. Get me some slack. Let me disable the, you know, the VX rockets. And then, like, the roles reverse where Goodspeed is the expert. And it, they talk about how the design is inelegant. Like, it saves space, but it's not stable. And it's like, yeah, it's basically on, like, a chain. Like, a rope chain just hanging and dangling. I'm like, this, is this don't safe. seem secure. Yeah, this ain't safe for anybody. 
and they basically break down how the drug works. Like, you know, it basically messes with your synapses. You stop breathing. Your lungs fill with blood. You puke all your guts out. But by then, your back breaks from spasms. Yeah. yeah. So, somebody's going to shoot me because that sounds like too much work. Mm-hmm. So they disable the um, guidance chips and, you know, escape. And Hummel's pissed talking about, you know, that you yeah, got a rat problem. I guess you take care of it. Like because of that, you know, five people died. You gonna do something about that? And then Henrix is pissed because, like, yeah, he thought he handled it. So he went in, he went in there, and then it become the whole Indiana Jones Temple of Doom scene. Oh damn! Damn it! <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, like it's just they got these like, what is going on in Alcatraz? They had a trolley car system underground, <laughs> like. <laughs> So many questions, and they have this chase scene in the trolleys, and they have like it was like a video game. This part was like a video game, and then it's funny when Mason got caught. Like I stuck you, like are you all right? Of course I'll you fucking idiot. Like he's busy dangling. Like he had no tolerance for Goodspeed and his shenanigans. And this is when Goodspeed finally does something. You know, shoots the guy to save Mason. Shoots him like five times. Probably had to shoot him twice. Yeah, but he was in there. He was in that, you know, that rush. After Mason set a dude on fire and then dropped the trolley car on him. That dude yeah, was, Ma- Mason wasn't playing around. No, nah, he was trying to get his bird and get up out of there. He's like, I'm glad you didn't hesitate. You know, he doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't get any easier, but it's up to me. I'd have been a poet or a farmer. <laughs> so then it's kind of like, you know, he's going to stall because. Hummel realizes, all right, something's going on. Mm-hmm. So I got to go match my own hand. And this is the whole part. It's like, yeah, Hummel ain't a torture anymore because he's like, or I'm, I'm going to shoot Doug. I'm going to shoot one of the hostages. Yeah, see, and this is where I'm like, okay, the things are falling apart now. I mean, I don't know if it's falling apart. It's like Hummel's great. He's not a good guy. He's not all the way to bad guy, but he'll do like he'll do bad things for a good purpose. Like he don't want to shoot the dude, but it's like I got a mission, and my way ain't working, so let's do this other way. So but he did initially come in and say, you know, you guys are being detained. You know, for what forty eight hours? He said, told him when he first got him. Yeah, for, for for that, I'm sorry. Like yeah, like it's just you know necessary evil. Because okay. he's busy calling, he's busy calling out Kramer's like, you know, what's going on? Like, oh, you know, we're working on it. We've got some money, issues, you know, transfer issues. You know about that. You guys got to get some verification pin number, all that crap. I mean, come and on. Tra- 96, it was, it, 96, it was a little slower. It ain't, it ain't you know, it ain't well, over the phone. It wasn't that damn slow. You, you, know what ain't, you know what ain't slow? A VX gas blowing up the 49ers. You better stop messing around. Can you imagine that happened and you ruined the NFL season over $100 million? You made how pissed Jerry Jones would be. Yeah. yeah. That was a Cowboys 49ers game and Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith died because the government wanted to be cheap. You know how pissed Texas would be? Yeah, that's the government for you. Oh, they shot a missile and blew up Hollywood like, you know, during the premiere of Pulp Fiction and, you know, murdered half of Hollywood. You know how mad you know, Come on. Anyway, wait a minute. So. Speaking of, wait, speaking. No, I wait to the end. But I got a, I got an issue of the uh, premiere of this movie. Why wasn't it in Alcatraz? Why, why wasn't it? Why was it at Alcatraz? Us. I'm not trying to go to Alcatraz to see a premiere. 
I mean, the movies in Alcatraz, Station Alcatraz, they used to do stuff like that. Oh, fuck. Oh, be happy when they be happy when Godzilla came out. They didn't have in Hiroshima. So look <laughs> <laughs> on the bright side. So anyway, Mason's there to stall some time, and this one and Harris and Sean Connery meet for the first time, and you can just tell they just size each other up. He's like, you know, I thought I was old. That's the first thing that come out of Hummel's voice. Yeah, so like I thought I was serving a long time. Like state your name, state your name for like John Patrick Mason. Majesty Secret Service. And, you know, they just basically signed these up. And basically, Mason's like, you know, yeah, I saw the highlights on CNN. You were a big deal during Vietnam. But this isn't an act of warfare. This is lunacy. Frank, I think you're a fucking idiot. Like, you know, you're trying to basically, like, you know, you're trying to honor the memory of, like, you know, the dead by killing another half a million people. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how he breaks it down like that. It's like, yeah, it kind of do sound that way, and they all eyeball like, well, "What you gonna do? You just let them, you just gonna let them say that too about you?" And he got, and Harry got this smirk. It's like, you know, where the guy's chips? I destroyed them, and that was a bad move. Like, you want, you gonna shoot us both? And he's not gonna shoot him, but he kind of looking, and they, and this is when they looking at Hummel. It's like, yeah, I ain't sure. Mm-hmm. This one fried there on backs is kind of like, you know, is he as resolved as, as we need him to be? Okay. And meanwhile, while <laughs> Goodspeed's breaking the thing, they rappel down. I don't know how they got that high or, or why they came from like 50 feet above them to try to sneak up with this man instead of just going around corners. Besides the fact it looked cool. Yeah. Why did that happen? How did they get that high? <laughs> and why did they do that? Just, I mean, like, it I had to be like you said. Good. It looked it look good. It always looked great. Yeah, and maybe they're like, we aren't sure about good speed because they are murdering our men. So we don't know. Maybe he's trained too. And then they realize he's not. He's like, where are you going, sweetie? And then they they kick him through a door. He's like, you know, you lucky old man. Humble once you're alive. Cause I'll take pleasure in gutting you, boy. With that mm-hmm. sharp ass knife, they pull him up. And then Paxton at meanwhile, Paxton's like, okay, I know you said this is a need to know basis, but right now I need to know who the fuck is John Patrick Mason. And Will Mac basically breaks it down like, you know, 30 years ago, he was, you know, SAS. He stole some microfilm with our secrets. And we got, we called him at the Canadian border. British said they had no idea who he is, no record of him. So we locked him away with no trial. He's like, he has all of our secrets. The the alien, the alien landing in Roswell, who really killed JFK, all our dirt. Because mm-hmm. Hoover had all this dirt about British national and everything else. And Mason had it. So basically, like, he knows all their dirty secrets. But wouldn't tell him where the microfilm was because he didn't want because he was like, yeah, as soon as I tell him, they're killing me. Mm-hmm. So, and Pax is like, it's funny, his face doesn't change. We're talking about, yeah, they know everything about the alien invasion of Roswell. And Pax is like, what? He's just listening. Like, he ain't that surprised. And you know what's funny? Now, when you hear stuff about how the Navy and Air Force kind of like basically now it's like, yeah, we've seen UFOs. Mm hmm. And it's funny that happened here, but I was like, oh, okay. Like, Wait, that, was, that wasn't a big story. Yeah, no. I, In no. real life. I don't know. You remember I, that? Yeah. I remember. It was like, oh, yeah, we, we had some funding going on because a lot of our pilots have seen stuff within the past 10, 20 years, and enough has happened. It hasn't been a coincidence, so yes, we're aware. And that was like, oh, cool. And they kept it moving. I guess because everybody, I don't know. You know, it's just so much 
I mean, it's different from you expect, like, you know, people say, of course, it's, it's life beside us. It's different when official government people say it because you're used to them lying. You said, oh, of course not. It was a flare. And I think that's what now it is. Like, that's what it is because yeah. it, it, they, we've known for so many times that, you know, the government lies and stuff going on we don't know about. So when they come out and say stuff, it's, we like, okay, we already knew that. It's fine. Come on now. Somebody said, like, if. <laughs> I mean, if, that's if, the reaction that people get. CNN, like, yeah, um, we saw an alien last week. We got an interview. You wouldn't be like, okay, um, I gotta finish my fantasy football thing and then I'll watch it on Don <laughs> Lemon later. Like, hell no. And this and Paxton just hears that and he's like, I think he's more he's not that surprised. So yeah. it's kinda like it's just yeah, I know I know age out workforce up to dirty things. I ain't that surprised. So it's like, you know, basically Mason is badass. He's the only person that can get him away. And meanwhile, they locked in the cell and he's trying to figure out how to get out. And he does his MacGyver tip. Which was awesome because uh, they was because people were trying to figure out well how did he get out the cell in the first place? You established how he got off the island. And he t- I guess he took bed spreads and a lock. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but do you know how? Oh, he had to try that more than once, right? He had, you know, what convicts had more than anything time. Time. Okay, I'm just saying because he got. I'm telling you, even then when he did it, it was like, okay, we about to get up out of here. Let's go. Time and then he does it, and then um, good speed's face drops. He's like, Trade secrets, my son. And then he ready to go. He's like, You know, I'm out, I'm out of here. And good speed's like, Man, man, you got his, his, his hand on a button. He's like, I looked in his eyes, he's a soldier, not a murderer. And good speed don't know that. So, because meanwhile, deadline's about to come, and they like, You know, we're gonna launch a new more time. And it's like, You know. Come on, General, let's be all we can be. And even Baxter's like, you know, we got to do something so prove. It's like, okay, let's launch. And then he fires it off. And then the missile's like, where's it going? Like, football game. <laughs> He's about to ruin the NFC championship game. He really was. And then, and now I'm wondering, I was like, okay, it's a Michael Bay movie, but it ain't like, he ain't going to have him blow up the stadium. Armageddon hadn't come out yet. So that's why we're saying this. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's funny. It's like, had we seen Armageddon, maybe it'd been like, oh yeah, you can see that happening. But that's different because, like, he doesn't mind destruction or like Transformers, where they basically destroyed Chicago like twice in those movies. Yeah, and I have you noticed that before it used to always be New York, and now Chicago. That's a good like, thing. I, why did Transformers focus on destroying, like, invading Chicago? I just why think did Rampage focus on Chicago? I just think it's because it, it it's become one of those things now as far as, you know, it's not always now I'm going to New York, I'm going to New York. It's more of, you know, it's it's moved around now to a lot of different places. But, so it's, then, but they focus. But they focused on Chicago a lot later. And I last time about what about Chicago, black on black crime? Like, yeah, the trans, the Autobots ruined Chicago. That's why we got black on black crime. There you go. <laughs> so anyway, the last second, Hummel diverts the missile because he's not a murderer. And then he ain't about that life. He won't about nothing. Fry that Dar- Brian Daryl are pissed. Tight. Like, what happened? They tight. Like. Pardon, pardon, you know, General, what the fuck is going on? He's like, I diverted the missile. He's like, you know, I'm not murdering 70,000 people. You got your goddamn mind. Like, you know, we're going to take, you know, we're going to skate with the VX rocking some hostages and I'll take the blame. Begging your pardon. 
worth the fucking money. There's no fucking money. There's no fucking money. He's like, you know, like I'm not burdening all these people like about, you know, bluff. He's like, say anything about bluffing. Like frying their old piss. He's like, you know, because Baxter realized that because earlier they had this, you know, truth like talking about you falling apart, what's going on? Like, you know, the men of Marines, like, are they? Like, and then just in case you weren't sure, he's like, Candyman stuff, like, no. The moment we took hostages, we became mercenaries, and mercenaries get paid. I want my fucking money. Which, like, fur- <laughs> which further lets me know that Candyman was a mercenary before he even got over there with uh, him. He's done this before and he wanted to get paid. They said a million dollars. Hummel made this big speech. And we're the, talking about, oh, we just going to leave. And what they going to do? I don't, I mean, the whole point is like, I don't blame them. They leave it off the money, then what? I'm just going to, like, I'm sure eventually they put together, like, yeah, Fry and Daryl didn't go to come to sick call today. Where they at? But a million. Yeah, they can go back to, and then I like, think even if, okay, if they don't get the money, what, they going to go back to work? I don't know. I guess that, and I guess, hey, that's the way they were feeling. They were like, yo, we need to get this money now because I ain't got nothing, another choice. I ain't got nothing. I, this is and, it. And I don't blame them. It's kind of like we signed up for this and we don't got nothing to show for it. We can't go back to our old jobs. So what do you expect us to do? Become a, change my name, become a truck driver? Like, that ain't how it works. And <laughs> they about to, they're all standing on face talking about, you know, say anything about bluffing. Stand down, Captain. Stand up, Captain! <laughs> I'm going lip start shivering. It's like, yeah, by this point, it's gone off the rails. And it's like, you know, I'm relieving you, General Hummel, I'm leaving your command. And it's like, you know, we're going to handle this. And Major Baxter in the middle, he's like, you know, oh, because not only that, Chris Bokeem Woodbine is here the whole time. And he was like, we're not going to kill all these people, are we? I know it's like, SEALs are one thing, but killing mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people, like, hey, it's business business so the people that were down with humble from day one was still on this whole thing like we got a mission i ain't trying to murder people frying daryl nah i'm trying to get paid yeah and baxter was kind of like you got you didn't realize what you were dealing with and they was like you know major baxter you either with us or against us and you're not sure which way he'll go because baxter tried to cause like i, I want some more time he's trying to make a side deal himself mm-hmm and Hummel had to pull a gun out on him. And it's like, you know, it's been, you know, like no bigger honor than serve with you, but like you said, it's over. Because he had the gun on Hummel first, then he pulls it out. It's funny where they close range, Bokeem gets shot because it's like point blank range. Neither Fry or Daryl get hit once. And Baxter and Hummel are out of there. Gone. That is true. Like, you that close and y'all didn't get shot. Like really? They got yeah. They all got shot like four or five times a piece. Meanwhile, um, Mason about to swim. He like I'm out of this. And Goodspeed try to stop him. He get a gut punch, punches his soul out. He got hit with two power bars. Ooh. And then he felt like he gonna do something. He get caught up with the sniper. He's like you know paper bat, you know plastic of paper. Because if the wind blow the wrong way, they're going to put you in a you know, uh, paper case or a plastic bag. And then Mason breaks the dude's neck with his own gun. He's like, you know, last time I made this swim, I was your age. So I'm fucked either way. So let's basically like, you know, well, I guess I got to do this. I don't want to make your, your child an orphan. Yeah. So, so they come save the day. 
Homo lets him know where the last rocket is, and then it's the final final scene. And they on a time frame, because the United States government was like, okay, thermite plasma's ready. You gotta do what you gotta do. Remember, they're they're in the testing phases again. Mm-hmm. And they break it down like you know, the complete eradication of Alcatraz mission. Um, forty three civilians and the number of US Marines will die in this mission. Yes, sir. And the president talking all slow, like, you know, sometimes tyranny must be met. You got to make hard. This is the hardest decision I have to make in my presidency. Airstrike approved. Wasn't that hard? No, just yeah. Because you talk this, just because you talk in slow motion, a flag, flag blew in the wind. You was talking about, oh, how hard it's got to be because it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to do this. And America, you know. We let Francis humble down, American hero that was betrayed by his country, and yada yada yada. Fuck him. Let's blow him up. Yeah, he. he it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. At all. And Paxton was Paxton was pissed, and the girl. Meanwhile, the girlfriend's finally there, and she like, can't you about to murder my boyfriend? Like, what is you doing? Like, she hated. So meanwhile, they're on the clock, and. First Mason kills this one dude. I don't know what his name is. Talking about, you know, oh, you British prick. I tell you, my old man was Irish. Like, they having a, they having a fist fight. What is it that in the movies? We all got guns. Let's throw hands. Because they want to square up. Let's do a real hand-to-hand. Get out there. Hit a pipe. Yeah, Mason went hand-to-hand. He took his hands and grabbed a chain and choked him to death. <laughs> and just looked at him and kept on moving. Like, Mason was cold-blooded. And meanwhile, Candyman talking trash. Talking about hot shit. Uh, oh, it's somehow, you know, because he had the first, he had the gun, and he's walking around like, you know, I'm screwing my money. Like, you know, you listen to, what type of music you listen to? You listen to Elton John? I don't listen to soft that shit. <laughs> like, don't worry, I'm not going to get you. Don't worry, I'll throw my gun away. I got a knife. He's like, oh, I just asked you that because, you know, when I saw him, Rocket Man, because guess what? You're the Rocket Man. Hits some square in the chest with a rocket. Flies him out a window so he gets impaled. He's like, how do you like that soft ass shit? Man. And that's the first time he cursed. Well, maybe getting the, you get the worst death scenes I ever see. Oh, he went out better than um, Steve Harris because he's about to um, he's about to snipe good speed. Mason flipped him over the balcony with the quickness. Yeah. Oh, and then we're going out bad movie. Yeah. 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 He's like, yeah, I got you now, baby. Oh, I got you. I got you. Like he he cooking like he cooking gumbo. Just waiting for that butter to simmer. (laughs) Got flipped right in the building. So they all gone. The the only person left is Fry. Boy. The main villain of the movie. Like, I'm going to get my mama choke. I'm going to choke my million dollars out of you. Like he was pissed. He he turned into like a. a serial killer at the end of the movie. He's shooting through doors, running his face off, scrunched up. Like he wanted at this point, he was like, I'm I just want revenge. And then they get in the fight and it's like that fight ain't fair. Cause good speed's good speed. And this other guy is like <laughs> reinforced recon and he's trying to choke out like you're gonna die. Then good speed takes the VX capsule, shuts in his mouth Breaks on his face. He's spinning out. So, Fry's a goner. And then, 
that atropine needle comes in again, so he's on his knees. Nicholas Cage on his Nicholas Cage face. Slow-mo sticks the needle out, jabs himself in the heart, and then it's like he's turning into Shinakuma. Like, he's having all these convulsions and <laughs> shaking. It's like, did he get... It's like, did he eat some peanuts and he had a peanut allergy? Like, what is going on? And then it makes you remember, if they had did that when they were disarming the bomb in the beginning of the movie, they did. Because they're not going to have enough time to shake that off and then disarm the bomb. And, and what, did the guy, what did he tell that guy? Get that shit away from me. So he's doing all of that. He's shaking everything. It's like that needle came back. Meanwhile, you know, the Air Force is on the way to drop the bombs. He's crawling slow. He remembers like green smoke. That's how you do it. So he grabs the flares. And there's the scene. He's on his knees with the flares. I'm doing it now. Flying back and forth. And all of them see him except for one guy. And they say abort mission. The one dude trigger happy miss drops the bomb. He's like, oh, I dropped him, sir. I dropped him, sir. And they pissed in the office. His girlfriend think they did. He get how he didn't get vaporized. I have no idea because he flew like 50 feet in the air when he hit the water. Yeah. When it was when that bomb dropped and that explosion was like, wow. How did he not die? And who's there to save the day? Mason. Yeah, he had to look out for him, I guess. <laughs> He's like, boy, you know, I imagine stories you tell your kid. He's like, are you insane? Like, my kid would be in therapy the rest of his life. I'll tell you these stories. You're a sick man. So, Womack and Paxton asked, like, what happened? It's like, you know, where's Mason? He's like, oh, he's gone, sir. Like, oh, I'm a vaporized. Like, come get me. So, it's like, you know, he basically says Mason, like, you know, Mason escapes. They think he's dead. He says, thank you. And then tells him about the microfilm. And then Paxton Womack comes, like, you know, Womack's like, I want to see a body. I want to see that son of a bitch. And it's like, you know, vaporized, just vanished. Like, they could do that. And Paxton knows what's up. Yeah, he know. Like, oh, poor son of a bitch. With that smile. So they save the day. And movie ends with them getting married, finding the microfilm in the, ch- in the church, and escaping. The end. Oh, honey, you want to know how JFK, who assassinated JFK? Hmm. Like, uh, just play that for as a joke. Yeah. Uh, now, how would you have felt today if they actually would have got the sequel? Oh, if they see they're on the run from the microfilm when they got to get John, John, John Mason to come save the day. I mean, if they had done it like two years after this, yeah, it's doable. You have to do it like kind of soon. Like, yeah, like while John Connery's still young enough to do it. I mean, it's, this movie made a lot of money. And out of all the all the movies we've done that we're gonna do, this movie made the most by like a lot. I'm just shocked that Michael Bay only. Well, I'm not gonna say only, but he talked about it in 2017. So that's like, whoa, bro. I don't think no. That people no. have asked him. No, because people asked him. You know, he thought about because it's always like a lot of movies people wonder about. It's like a sequel's gonna happen and everything like that. Cause I remember Undercover Brother. They talk about doing a sequel. And it oh, never happened. yeah, I thought that was, and I always thought that. I don't, I'm not sure how I did in the movie theaters, but I just know that, like, outside, once they got DVD and stuff, like, people were watching it on TV and stuff like that. So. Yeah. It made these, It made a profit. It didn't make a lot of money, but it didn't lose money. It was, it's kind of like, they always talk about sequels, and most of the time, like, Gladiator talking about how to do a sequel to that movie. Oh, so, 
yeah, talking about he's gonna go throughout time as different soldiers as some weird stuff. Because like movies, they like a lot of money that are open ended. They always try to find a way to have sequels because franchise money is a thing. So I mean, if they would have did it soon enough, it could have done something. But was that window was small, and once that window was gone, it's gone. So yeah, The Rock. Yeah. Um. It's a lot of things if you want to know about this movie as far as IMDb about trivia. It's a lot. It's a lot of things. Um, Quentin Tarantino being an uncredited screenwriter. Which Aaron is Sorkin coming. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin coming in. It's like punched up the Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino being writers on the action movie. But, you know, and it's amazing how, and I'm sure it's like this now. But how these writers and directors would get together and write movies, especially back in the 90s and early, uh, late 80s, they would just all get together and just help each other write and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you would come up with these yeah. things. It's just it's interesting. A lot of people don't know that. But, you know, that's yeah, like now, like Christopher McQuarrie is like Tom Cruise's main man. He has him like, you come help up with the script. You help him help this out. And it's kind of like when you find like before you didn't know stuff like this unless you like read, them, you know, magazines. Yeah. Right. Now you're doing the internet. It's like, oh, maybe you see, like, maybe Brian Singer wasn't that good because Christopher McQuarrie was doing all the heavy lifting. Like, you find out stuff like that, or you find out who's good or who's really good. Like, you know, Dread, basically, who we thought directed it really didn't direct it. So, stuff like little stuff like that you hear, you know, like stuff you didn't hear about back then, it's easy to find now. And it's just like all the headaches that top Michael Bay had to go in to make this movie it's it's hilarious now considering the big budgets he uses now but he wasn't Michael he was up and coming he was like I'm Michael Bay yeah he was this was like this was the good version of Michael Bay where it's like his excesses were kind of trimmed down and like reined in and you got most of the good stuff and not too much of the bad stuff Armageddon is when it started to tip when it was just like you got all of Michael Bay, the good and the bad. Yeah. And Transformers is when it leaned more toward bad than good. And and as I as I uh texted texted to you, social media made it worse. Because around this time, once you get to like what, Transformers two? Or maybe yeah. Transformers, when social media is really getting going and when it's at its peak and everybody got the jokes and this, I think social media has painted him in this put him in this corner where it's I like, mean it's but it's justified. It's justified, but you know, like you say, it's social media can make things good and some things can make it worse. And right. I think these are one of the things that are worse because Nas like he it's a bad name to say Michael Bay. But Michael Bay has made good movies too. I yeah Michael Bay here's the thing. Michael Bay is I'm a Michael Bay fan and I get into people Michael Bay is extremely talented at what he does, but he also has some real bad habits. And he's like I've noticed a lot of directors do well when they have a good editor, when they don't have the excess. Then the excess gets trimmed down. And when they don't have an editor, the bad stuff dominates. And Michael Bay think, because I always tell people, what Michael Bay does isn't easy, because look at the people who try to do it. Like, you see, ever see Battleship? Yes. Yeah, it's like you, Peter Burr's a decent actor. It's like, this looks like Michael Bay light. Like that movie's boring. That movie's boring. How do you have a movie with Rihanna, Liam Neeson, and other and like six other folks in the movies? But we boring. Peter Berg, the same person that did that uh, the Mile Twenty Two. Uh, yeah, whatever. 
No, but this is before, but also Peter Bird also did the Kingdom and the Rundown, which were the, good movies. The Rundown was fine. I enjoyed the Rundown. Yeah, and um, the Kingdom was good. I don't think I was. But it's like kingdom. no, yeah, it's like you got Jamie Fox, um, Jennifer Garner, they like in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's. I'm surprised because it doesn't feel like a Peter Bird. No, Peter Bird was fine until he started doing movies with Mark Wahlberg. And then they became like, we're going to make America great again. Nonsense. So, that's no, it's funny. Like, Michael Bay's this funny guy where I don't know what his politics are. You couldn't tell by watching his movies either. Because it's like, he's pro-military for the most part. Up until like the last Transformers movie, because the fifth one, he anti-military too. They all, all the humans are evil at that point, like government wise. But it's always been like before, it's like, I'm into American exceptionalism and excellence, but I think American government is trash. Yeah. I'm into like, you know, I like my women to look like thick strippers. I like guns. I like cool black people. I like jokes. I like explosions. It's just weird. Like it's like it's like Vince McMahon, a little bit. Like it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would be interested just to sit in and hear some of his thoughts outside of movies. Yeah, <laughs> like if you ask me if you ask me who Michael Bay voted for, you could tell me Democrat Republican. I believe you, because I have no clue. Yeah. Because it's like some stuff leans Republican and some stuff some stuff leans Democrat, and it's kind of like yeah, you know, he did do that. Benghazi movie, but it wasn't like an anti-Clinton thing. It was just an anti-all the politicians like garbage. I think he just had like a dis- I think he has a disdain for like um, government. But not in a libertarian way, just to kind of like they just keep messing around like leadership wise. But it's just weird seeing this, you know, Nicolas Cage becomes an action star because of this. Sean Connery has a renaissance. You know, Ed Harris, Ed Harris is Ed Harris, and it's this yeah. funny scene. You know, it's this, and this has becomes like continue this whole streak of having these great character actors be villains. Like it started with um, Die Hard. Like think about that being your first movie. Yeah, that's his first role. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah, then you had like Under Siege, you had Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey being villains for, for Steven Seagal. I still haven't watched Under Siege yet. What? I still haven't watched it yet. Okay. I'm more of a Van Damme fan than a Steven Seagal fan, but it's no way in the world you can't you haven't you haven't watched Under Siege? I can see if you say you didn't see the second one. No. You never I, saw the first one? No, because I don't even I can't even tell you anything about it. I remember you. I remember you like months. It was probably like months ago saying something about, it, and I was like, I haven't seen it. Okay, one day we'll have to fix that. That's his because that's his best movie, first of all, and that's like the, that's his only movie that seems like big, big budget star movie. Even though it's kind of like basically it's almost like a Hulk Hogan match. Everybody's bumping for Steven Seagal. Is this that movie is? And it's kind of like insulting, like. Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey doing all this heavy lifting to make Steven Seagal look tough. And it's it just feels like icky somehow. But now, no. What what Gary Busey am I getting? Am I getting batshit crazy, Gary Busey? Yeah, yeah, right. Almost there. Okay. Yeah, leaning it leaning towards that. It's right at the t- it's right around you you saw point break, right? Yeah. It's around that type of Gary Busey. 
but a villain. Yeah, it's kind of like it's not Lethal Weapon Gary Busey, okay. where it's like cool, calm, collected, and it's it's you saw Predator Two, yes. It's like that Gary Busey, but a little leaning toward becoming like insane Gary Busey. Like he ain't insane yet, okay. but he's getting there. <laughs> he's he's getting there. So, but yeah, like the Rock kind of starts that off, makes you know Michael Bay becomes a name again, and then it's like starts Nicholas Cage. Like oh, Nicholas Cage is an action star, and Sean Connery's have you know a renaissance because then he does Entrapment, and somehow we start to believe like him and Catherine Zeta Jones are love interests. Even though Catherine Zeta Jones is married to Michael Douglas in real life, mm-hmm. and no, I've never seen a trap bit. I always just remember they always see the preview, and it's her laying down underneath like the laser wire, and a view of like you know what I'm talking about. You've seen her like in a cat suit doing that pose, and where the camera's at. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can tell you about that movie. I've seen it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> I think I saw it when I was too young to, like, to really remember it, yeah. but I've seen it. I've never seen it from beginning to end, but I always know because they always show that scene. I'm like, boy, we treated women like trash. But, you know, it's one more thing about this whole thing is that I guess you will people will see and understand is that if you get the right director and if you have a great cast around Nicolas Cage, you're going to get his best. Um, Him by himself is sometimes is difficult when you got him being the headline and it's just Nicolas Cage by himself. So, but when he has a great cast around him, it's good. It's like anything else. You can't, I mean, the best pieces work together when they're all in unison. And this movie is basically have a whole bunch of great actors working together. You know, like Jerry Bruckheimer was a a genius when it comes to stuff like this. You know, this is Don Simpson had passed away because before they used to be a team. Mm -hmm. And then this is the first one post him. It's like Bruckheimer's character. Like he basically knows how to make a movie. He knows talent. And what Michael Bay has flaws. Casting? No, that is not a flaw. Like he he matched that whole thing. If I throw a whole bunch of great actors in my movie, it doesn't matter how bad the script is, they will elevate it. That's how you got some like Francis McDormand being like the head of the CIA in the Transformers movie. And no one blinks an eye. Yeah. That's how you have like, you know, which one? McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy being a villain. Okay, before we go. The plot of Transformers 3 is batshit crazy. Decepticons are working like this American fam, like the humans behind the scenes to like work with technology and stuff to be as like spies and and then it's like this whole family like yeah we've been working Decepticons for like you know a hundred years it's tradition what (laughs) (laughs) and like they and they get Spock to be like an Autobot trader and it's like yeah I made I made a deal with the Decepticons so we can rebuild Cybertron because it's about you know I see the bigger picture you know, my issues with Transformers, the movies, run so deep that I don't even have enough time to get into. But I just wish that, and I get it at the time, you know, how things are going. I wish that Bumblebee was the start. I wish that yes. that was the beginning of everything and we moved. Mm-hmm. Because it just yeah. seemed like... 
No, everything got wouldn't. wacky after the first one. After the first no. Michael Bay Transformers, everything just got really wacky. It's two parts that happen. One, Bumblebee eliminated that lie that you could do Transformers that way and it'd be enjoyable. Because Michael Bay was whole thing is like, I can't do it like the cartoon because it looks stupid. And it's like, okay. Because keep in mind, all, those movies are expensive because that was like cutting that CGI technology mm-hmm. when he did that. And it's like, okay, if you can't do it, that's fine. And you believed it because you didn't know any better. As soon as you see Bumblebee and all that Cybertron stuff and now like the Transformers look like Transformers, Transformers. like, okay. yeah, like, okay, this is a lie. We just didn't know any better. Like Michael, like Michael Bay lied to us. Like maybe he couldn't when it first came out, but then it became a kind of like, I didn't want to. And then Travis Knight showed that you could. And the second part is, I'm just proud of a murderer. Yeah. I mean, not just Decepticons where it's like, you know, ripping people's face offs and pulling their hearts out, showing it to them. Like he straight murdered Kelsey Grammer in the fourth one. Is that the way is that the last night? No, the one before that. The first one, Mark Wahlberg. Okay, because I never saw the last night one. I never yeah. Don't trust me. Oh, that's everybody keeps telling me, so I'm not gonna watch it. I, you know, I that's that movie's just messy. Like like not use a message like sloppy, like the editing, editing stuff. Like the scenes don't, it feel like Michael Bay was sleep. Like, I don't know what was going on with that one. That's, that was disappointing where it was like, it just felt like it wasn't done correctly, but no, no, that's the fourth one. It was like Kelsey Graham worked for the CIA with his other, um, transformer. That's like anti Decepticon, anti Autobot with a pimp stroll. And yeah, like, yeah. Okay. I, I remember. this problem was basically like, you know, I'm tied in with these humans. The next one who crossed me, I'm, I'm, I'm killing y'all. Like, he basically said that. And, yeah, he straight, with that big-ass gun, he shot Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> and I laughed when it happened because he was so, he he was like, I got that thing on me. <laughs> so, don't, so don't mess with me. It's like, um, I just couldn't picture that. Like, uh, all, like a big-ass transformer pulling out a gun, like the size of a, almost a building and shooting Frazier. Michael Bay said, fuck it, let's see what happens. Let's see how the crowd takes it, accepts it. I remember people was like, wow. Just because it, it was so unexpected. I'm like, I mean, he did have it coming, but still, you're just not used to like, you know, heroes doing that. Like, that'd be like Captain America, like decapitate somebody with a shield. Yeah, it's tough. It's so, tough, but somehow so that's what Mike, this Michael Bay has become. This is the good Michael Bay. Yes, it is. And um, next week's movie will be Con Air, and I feel like this is going to be the difficult but not difficult movie because if you just know the time uh, that we were in, because this movie is well, this movie don't age well. Yeah. Nicholas Cage worked well. This is Nicholas Cage basically being joke. <laughs> I'll say this about Conair. I don't know if you noticed it. Nicholas Cage get the best lines. Yeah. Because he cracking jokes the whole time. damn movie. And like, I didn't realize, like, <laughs> I think because I focused so much on the accent in the lines, I realized, like, he had, he was not playing the straight man. He was just like, I'm just a man. Like, this it's, is just. <laughs> my, my, my thing of this movie is if you look at everybody, for the exception of Nicolas Cage and Dave Chappelle, everybody else took their roles serious. Those two, they had a they just they were just like, fuck it. I'm gonna do this and have a good time. Oh shucks. 
I'm I'm doing I'm doing I can't I can't wait till we do this movie because it's just like I, I watched it recently for research just because I just want to remember some stuff and it's like a lot of stuff to talk about but no this is just a weird thing because one dirty it's uh, oh, it's just it don't age well John Cusack just it's funny like John Cusack feel like he just in the wrong movie most definitely <laughs> and that's why it works. and that's why it works so. Yeah. yeah, this is when Nicholas Cage. This is like when Nicholas Cage, like you know what? I don't have to be Sean Connery's sidekick. I get to be the man. You get to be the man, and this, it's, unfortunately, this is still one of my favorite Nicholas Cage movies. But I can tell you, uh, just giving somebody now in 2019 to send out and say, "I've never seen this. Should I watch it?" And if you can get a, if you get offended easy, no, do not watch this movie uh-uh. at all. And I will say before we go, that lawyer better have got the spark. Oh, <laughs> that's all I gotta say. That's... Uh, yeah, cause yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Because what lawyer? He must have had the lawyer that did the CBA for the NFLPA. I'm sorry, that ugh, he just, that he got got. Oh, he got got bad too because he should have been what a free man. Oh, a war hero, a white war hero in the South get ten years for defending his wife. What? Like, yeah. Yeah, yep, we, so, I can't wait till next week. Yeah, this has been Jeff versus the world. If you want to uh, check me out on social media, and by the way, I am doing a giveaway. So all you got to do is follow at Jeff versus the world on Twitter, uh, like the comment, and leave a comment of your favorite Marvel movie and your favorite Marvel character. And I'm giving away the digital code of of the Avengers Endgame, but. Also, you can follow me on um, at Jeff vs. the World on Facebook. And Shahid may give you his, and he may not. It's yes, I am, can be found on Twitter on under, Philly underscore drugs. That is Philly underscore drugs because I'm from Philly and I sell drugs. He really does. And we will leave you with this. Well, maybe. No, I'm going to leave you with this. One million dollars. It's not a lot of money in 1996, and it's not a lot of money in 2019. And that's why he was a fucking idiot. (laughs) Peace.